The word of the Lord which engages us this morning comes from our gospel lesson, Mark 12, read earlier. Grace and peace from Jesus Christ to you. It's raining again today. There hasn't been a lot of thunder and lightning with this rain this week or this month, even though we've had a lot of it. But when you were a kid and you saw some lightning, what did you start doing? 1,001, 1,002, count up, because somebody had taught you that if you count to five, that means that the lightning was probably about a mile away once the thunder got to your ears. It takes that long for the sound waves to come. When you heard it, and it was only like one second away, or you heard the thunder come simultaneously with the lightning, You knew you need to take cover. You knew it was close by. Thunder and lightning go together. The 20th century theologian Karl Barth once said, grace evokes gratitude like the voice of an echo. Gratitude follows grace like thunder follows lightning. Just as one expects to hear thunder after seeing lightning, we can expect to see gratitude both in ourselves and in other Christians, when we see and comprehend the grace that our Lord God has given to us. The widow in our gospel story understood that grace, God's undeserved love that had been shown to his, to her, and to all of God's children. Because she understood it, because she felt it, because she trusted in God, she was willing to give all that she had Her two pennies of gratitude followed grace, like thunder follows lightning and still continues then to thunder through the ages. Now, as I was preparing this homily, I started realizing I was having problems with the law aspect of the law gospel uh, homily I wanted to share with you. I realized that the admonishment I wanted to share with you, the warnings about temptations that I thought you needed to hear, we're actually going to be about temptations that most of you have never experienced before. Most of you are preparing for pastoral or diaconal ministry and don't know what it's like yet to teach God's people about the importance of stewardship. But there are many temptations centering around how to teach your people as Jesus was teaching his disciples about grace-oriented stewardship. C.S. Lewis once said that uh, the devil sends errors into the world in pairs, pairs of opposites. And by uh, getting us to focus on one of those pairs, he gets us to slowly slide into the other one. Well, I want to propose to you that I think there are two primary errors, temptations that you will face in your future ministries as pastors and deaconesses. Those errors, the first one, failing to teach much of anything about the importance of Christian faithful stewardship for fear that your people will think that you're just trying to get into their pockets. Or the second error, approaching stewardship from a law orientation, from a fundraising orientation. I'll take the second temptation first. I do want to make a comment. Uh, Institutional fundraising for someplace like the seminary is different than congregational stewardship. 
we are not uh, in the same position as pastors sharing God's Word with His people, uh, every, every, at least not with people that have any money, um, with His people every week. And so we trust that our president and our advancement team are out there, but even they are dependent upon what God's pastors are teaching God's people about stewardship and hoping that those people then will designate a small portion of their stewardship to the seminary. But for those of you that are going out to regular congregational calls, many of you will be called to congregations that are already thousands, perhaps tens of thousands of dollars in the red financially. You will likely have elders and other church leaders who pressure you to preach and teach about money and about how these members need to give more and make them feel guilty for not giving more because we need to make the budget and your salary is part of the budget. Faithful congregational stewardship should not ever be about budgets and salaries, about fundraising opportunities and methods. You'll have people pressure you for new ideas about uh, coming up with a new uh, dinner to give so that they can raise money off the dinner or, or something to sell that they can raise money. But few of our Christian people will realize that Christian stewardship is different. It's about faithfully living out and trusting in our Lord who graciously gives to us. As to the first temptation, LCMS President Kieschnick was just here on Wednesday having a conversation with the faculty, and he shared with us that he had done an informal poll of the district presidents recently, and he'd asked them to estimate what percentage of the pastors and congregations were not teaching about stewardship, at least not actively teaching about stewardship, to their lay people. And he was surprised, and so was I, to find out that 70 to 90 percent of the pastors and congregations out there were not actively teaching about stewardship. 70 to 90 percent, they thought. I would have not been surprised at 30, even 50 percent, but I was shocked to hear 70 to 90 percent of our brothers in ministry are avoiding the topic, and probably many of them because they fear that they'll be perceived as being just hungry for their people's money, like televangelists are often accused of being. Many of those pastors assume that if they just preach about the safe topics, about the Lutheran topics like justification and baptism and Lord's Supper, that they will be faithfully carrying out their pastoral duties and stewardship will somehow just be learned implicitly or unconsciously or perhaps by some miraculous intervention by the Holy Spirit. But we are called upon, as Paul said, to proclaim the whole counsel of God. Herb Miller, the author of the book and program New Consecration Sunday, a very gospel-oriented book, asserts that Jesus preached and taught more frequently about money and treasure than he did about forgiveness. And our text today is one example of that. Other examples include Matthew 6, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Luke 12, foolish is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Luke 16, no servant can serve two masters, Jesus said. You cannot serve both God and money. About six years ago, when I was serving a parish in Kansas, 
my elders and I invited the district mission and stewardship executive to come and be the guest preacher for our special New Consecration Sunday stewardship service. It wasn't just a one Sunday thing. We had actually been teaching the congregation about the importance of Christian stewardship for the previous three or four weeks leading up to that special Sunday. And we weren't just preaching about earthly treasures, but about the importance of stewardship of time and talents as well. The stewardship exec started his sermon with the question often posed to him by fellow Christians with a law orientation, saying, well, what am I supposed to give back to God? Or even more crassly, what do I have to give to the church? He shocked my congregation by telling them that when they ask, when somebody asks him that question in a law way, he shocks them back by saying, you have to give back everything. We have received everything from God. The rain from above, the water we drink, the air we're breathing right now, the food we eat, the riches we have, and even by worldly standards, poor seminarians are rather rich. But God doesn't need our riches to run his church. For our very lives, we owe everything back to God, and he simply wants us to respond to him in return. The large amount of riches that the rich threw into the temple treasury, in Jesus' story, those have long since gone away. But yet, he desires our faithfulness in time, talents, and treasure, and our gratitude for the great grace that he has bestowed upon us. He desires that his pastors and his deaconesses will show that faithfulness and teach that to God's people so that God's people can, in return, shrink their self-centeredness and live out faithful, thankful lives by the power of the Holy Spirit working through God's Word. Did you notice where this particular story comes in Mark Mark chapter 12, the very end of the chapter, to use a very Markan term, immediately after Jesus spoke these words, Mark records that he moves into Holy Week and to his great sacrifice. I cannot tie together what the widow did and what Jesus does for us any better than our hymn writer did in verse 4. At last, he brought his offering and laid it on the tree. There gave himself his life, his love for all humanity. May we, in our lives and the lives of those we teach, live out that life of grace and of gratitude for that grace as thunder follows lightning. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.